The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Alright, if you could find your place this morning in Hosea chapter 4. And as you're doing that, I want to tell you a little story. It's not really a story, it's more of a commentary on uh, a television show. But it is kind of a story. Uh, there was a show a number of years ago, and I, I may have mentioned this before, uh, but it was on uh, one of these, like A&E or Discovery or one of these channels that show it's, it's a, kind of a, some sort of reality show, but it's not really. It was called Bait Car. And it was intriguing to me because here's basically the premise behind the show. Uh, the local law enforcement would get a vehicle that they would outfit with video cameras and microphones and all these things hidden on the interior of the car, and they would also wire um, a device in the engine of the car to where they could remotely disable it if need be, and they would park it in an area where they had been experiencing uh, a high volume of car theft and they would park it and it would be you know it would be inviting it would be a fairly late model nice looking vehicle it would be left unlocked there may even be keys uh, either in the in the console or up you know above the visor so, somewhere where they weren't necessarily just sitting there but they were easily found and so the the premise is let's park this here and see if somebody will steal it and when they do, of course, we'll have the microphones, we'll have the video camera, we'll have uh, the ability, to, if they try to run away, we can shut the car down and catch them. And we'll try to reduce the number of car thefts in this area. So to me, I thought, well, this will be fun, you know, and this will be fun to watch. So uh, here's what would happen, though, without fail. I never saw this, uh, I never saw an exception to this. Sure enough, after a, a bit of time, one or more people would approach this vehicle and kind of, you know, look cautiously look and what do we have here? And then they might try a door handle and, oh, and it opens. Oh, okay. And so then they, they get in and start to look around. And, of course, it's, you know, middle of the night. And as they're looking around in here, of course, the law enforcement is sitting there watching the video, listening to everything they say the whole time. And... They, uh, they eventually decide, okay, we're going we're gonna to make a break for it. And they, they find the keys, they, they crank the car up, they start going down the road. And you hear the radio contact between the law enforcement officers. They're talking back and forth. Yeah, where are they going? Okay, they're turning here. Uh, let, them, let them go a little bit farther. And then and next thing you know, all right, hit the kill switch. And then the motor just starts you know, idling down. And they start, what's going on? And next thing you know, here's four... Uh, police cars surrounding them and they're caught okay not only are they caught but they are caught on video and audio and they're in the vehicle but here's the exception I was telling you that never happened without fail they would put their hands up the officers surrounding them to get them out of the car and they would always have a story 
They would have a reason why they were in that vehicle. No, this is my, this is my brother's cousin's car, and they, they bo- let me borrow it. That's why it's, I don't have any uh, identifying ownership for this. Because it's not mine, but this is this family member or this cousin or somebody let me borrow it, and I was going to return it. And Well, this car has been reported stolen, and, and they always had a story. And then the funny part to me, maybe that's just how my mind works, at the end, they would tell them, you, we've got video evidence of you stealing this car. No, no, this is, I didn't steal this car. Here, here's the problem. Even after being confronted with, I have video evidence, I have audio evidence, you were under surveillance the entire time. We know exactly what happened. They held on to that story. Do you want to change your story? No, no, I didn't steal this car. I borrowed it. And and are you sure you don't want to change your story? No. So even to the bitter end, they would maintain their story that they did not do what it was clear to everyone they had done. So now... That's a kind of a, maybe a sick, twisted form of humor for me. But think about it this way, in spiritual terms. How often might we find ourselves in the wrong, and we know we're in the wrong, and we're, as, as the expression goes, God's got us dead to rights. We have no defense. We've done wrong. And yet, to the bitter end, we're trying to hold on to some story or some rationalization for our behavior when we know deep in our hearts, if it's just us and God, we know we're wrong. And I've told you many times before that I'm way past the point of being able to sin out of ignorance because I've read the Bible. And God's told me what's right and what's wrong. And so if I do wrong now, I have to own it. I, don't, I can't plead ignorance. So I didn't know that was wrong. No, I can't say that. That's impossible. There might have been a day when I was younger and I was still learning. I, maybe I wasn't fully discipled yet. Maybe I wasn't following Jesus yet. And I didn't fully know in my mind and my heart what was right and wrong across the board. But you know what? Now... I, have, I am fresh out of excuses. When I, when I sin, just, just try, to, try to identify with what I'm telling you before we read this passage and then try to internalize it a little bit and let's be honest with ourselves. Now, if I sin, I knew well before I sinned that it was sin. I didn't just accidentally sin. I didn't just accidentally treat that person that way. I didn't just accidentally speak to that person that way. I didn't just accidentally... Oh, this is going to hurt my feelings. I didn't just accidentally press down a little harder on that accelerator in the truck. I didn't just accidentally uh, roll through that stop sign. Simple things. Simple things that seem, oh, well, there's nobody around. It's harmless. Is it? Really? 
I mean, in earthly sense, maybe. But in, in, in spiritual things? Are, are we at a point, most of us, are we at a point where we, it's not that we don't know, it's that maybe we just don't want to take responsibility. Maybe we just don't want to own up and say, God, you know what? You're exactly right. You're exactly right. I, I'm wrong. You're right. I, I, I've sinned. I've failed. And I'm, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. There's a lack of humility. There's a lack of accountability. There's a lack of taking personal ownership of who we are and what we do and what we say and how we live. And God says, let me show you that in a microscope and let me show you what it's doing to you. Hosea chapter 4 is an eye-opener about exposing the guilt of God's people. And it's not just the people. Let me, and maybe, maybe it will comfort you to know half of this passage is pointing the finger at the preacher and saying, what are you doing to help this? Because you're failing as, as badly as the people are failing. And, and you're all equally guilty. Here's what the Bible tells us in Hosea chapter 4, and we'll read all 19 verses. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Because there's no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns. And everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. Yet let no one find fault, and let none offer reproof, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. So you will stumble by day, and the prophet also will stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge." Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people and direct their desire toward their iniquity. And it will be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat, but not have enough. They will play the harlot, but not increase, because they have stopped giving heed to the Lord. Harlotry, wine, and new wine take away the understanding. My people consult their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot, departing from their God. They offer sacrifices on the tops of the mountains and burn incense on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is pleasant. Therefore your daughters play the harlot and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot or your brides when they commit adultery for the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with temple prostitutes so the people without understanding are ruined. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, do not let Judah become guilty 
Also do not go to Gilgal or go up to Beth-Avon or take the oath as the Lord lives. Since Israel is stubborn like a stubborn heifer, can the Lord now pasture them like a lamb in a large field? Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their liquor gone. They play the harlot continually. Their rulers dearly love shame. The wind wraps them in its wings, and they will be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will please open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, would you give us a clear vision of what you're telling us today. Help us to understand this word that we might obey it and use it to live the life you want us to live for your glory and our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And this, this passage is, is really uh, profound because it shows us how all this happens. If you, I hope that while we read through the Scripture, you might have thought as we read through some of the lines there, wow, that sounds like what we're seeing today. That sounds like watching the news. I mean, when, when, it, when the description gives... Uh, the land mourns, uh, there's swearing, deception, murder, stealing, adultery, all this stuff going on. It sounds like we're just looking, you know, looking at what's going on now. And this was written uh, 750 years, roughly, before Jesus was even born. So we're, we're approaching, in the grand scheme of things, th almost 3,000 years when this was written, and, and it sounds like it was for last week. So the three sections of this passage help us see three important things. Uh, the first one is this. The covenant is broken. The covenant is broken. That's really the problem. That's almost the, uh, the, the foundation of this departure from God and His Word. The covenant is broken. And so the very first thing Hosea says to the people is, you need to listen to God. <laughs> I thought about, I said last night, we were talking about this passage at home, and, and I said, you know, I, I ought to just read the very first line and then just say, okay, let us pray. I mean, that, that's the message, isn't it? Look at verse 1. Listen to God. Listen to the Word of the Lord. What, what could we spare ourselves if we just did that? Listen to the Word of the Lord. Uh, he's given us His Word, and if we would just listen to it, you know, it's not enough just to own a Bible. It's not enough just to read the Bible. We've got to read it. We've got to meditate on it, study it, memorize it, but we've got to live it. We've got to do what it says, right? So right from the outset, listen to God. And he goes on and says he's got a case against the people. There's no faithfulness. There's no kindness. There's no knowledge of God. And then the list of things that are, are going on, swearing, deception, murder, stealing, adultery, violence is rampant. Does that not... Have you seen the news this past week? Has anyone noticed what's happening in Afghanistan right now? where these people are going door to door looking for 
both Christians and uh, United States sympathizers. I saw one report that said as they go door to door searching out Christians, they're even looking at their phones. Let's see if you have a Bible app on that phone. Because if you do, that must mean you're a Christian. That, that's how they're, one way they're being identified. So our current culture doesn't appear to have changed all that much, right? You ever uttered these words? Oh, wish we could just go back to the good old days. You know, the good old days weren't all that good. There were some parts of the good old days that made them good, but ultimately, how much has the culture as a whole changed in nearly 3,000 years? If this was the commentary then, and we see what we see now, what's really changed? All of God's creation is mourning over the condition of the land. And, this, and the reason why is because this is a complete reversal of Genesis, of the creation account. You go back and read Genesis chapter 1, verse uh, 26 to about 31, and you see how everything was so good, everything was in perfect harmony. Nothing could be further from the truth now. The covenant is broken. Number two, the pastors are guilty. Pastors, even then, priests, religious leaders, had a very strict um, mandate. They were supposed to be leading people closer to God, not joining them in their sin. And so from verse 4 down to verse 10, you, you see that uh, Israel refuses to hear accusations from others. The people of Israel wouldn't listen to the preachers regarding their own sins. And the preachers wouldn't correct the people because they were guilty of the same sins. So it's like the, there, there's no difference. There's no, there's no one towing the line. There's no one holding up a standard. No one is following God, so no one can hold anyone else accountable. So the one person, the one group of people who was supposed to be helping leading people back to God, it wasn't happening. The, the preachers wouldn't hold people accountable because they were just guilty of the same things. So it's a, a terrible situation. The people are suffering the consequences of incompetent preachers. Now, I know I harp on this a lot, and, and maybe you're tired of hearing it, but I, I'm just, I'm just going to say that there are, I saw this, uh, I wish I would written this statement. I didn't. Stephen Lawson, who's a pastor, professor up in North Carolina. There are two kinds of preachers. Ones that preach the Word of God and ones that need to resign. This right here, if a preacher cannot... I mean, there's all kinds of things preachers can do. But number one on the list of a preacher's responsibilities is labor in this book... Study it and preach it in its truth. Don't give me your opinion. Don't tell me a bunch of stories just to take up the time. Read the Scripture and explain to me what it means and help me follow it. That's the job of a preacher, number one. And, and, and the preachers here in this text, and unfortunately, look around our world. There's a lot of people 
that are, are grabbing the, the title pastor or preacher and sometimes they don't even have a Bible with them up on the pulpit. How are you going to be a preacher when you don't even have the book you're supposed to be preaching from nearby? I don't understand it. The lack of biblical teaching causes the people and the preacher alike both to stumble. The preacher's failure to preach the Word leads to the destruction of the people. What did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 through 5? I urge you by the mercies of God, I urge you by the appearing of Christ and by His kingdom, preach the Word. Not a lot of ambiguity in that statement, is it? Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, when it's easy and when it's not so easy. Preach the Word. There's no substitute for that. The Bible says that the people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So the preacher is going to be removed by God. It's almost like that old show before, before Donald Trump got into politics. Remember that show he did, The Apprentice? Remember his famous tagline? You're fired. You're fired. That, well, God's just telling the preacher, you're fired. I gave you one job. I gave you my word. Preach the word. You can't do that. You, you need to go do something else. The preachers would not even be able to pass on their profession to future generations because they were not uh, doing it correctly. They weren't following the guidelines. And, and by the way, uh, you think this uh, is just a, a denominational problem? It, it's not. Uh, there are, and, and let me just tell you real quickly, one thing that's different about the Southern Baptist Convention, of which we're a part, uh, versus other denominations, and, and I won't name them all, but there's a, there's a few that have been... Um, unwillingly in, in the news in the, over the last 5, 10, 15 years for not good reasons because of what types of problems they're discussing within their denomination. Well, the conversations they're having are things such as um, whether or not to ordain a homosexual pastor or whether or not to allow same-sex marriage within their churches, you know, things like that. Uh, do, do, you, do you know we're not, we're not debating that in the Southern Baptist Convention? You know why? Because about 40 years ago, there was a thing called the conservative resurgence where we, we had a battle within the Southern Baptist Convention over this right here. Are we going to follow the Bible or are we, are we just going to do what we want? And the Southern Baptist Convention fought to be people of the book. And, and we're going to follow the Bible. This is God's Word. And so those who didn't believe that went off and formed their own group. But as far as we're concerned, we don't have another authority. We have the Bible, and that's God's Word, and that's our final authority in everything. Period. So because there was a fight over that... 40 years ago, then today we're not fighting over whether or not we should uh, ordain homosexuals. Because 
the Bible's pretty clear on that. So we're, we're, we're holding to the Bible. <clears throat> there are other denominations that are having conversations and issues that we, we don't have to have because we fought for Scripture. So what happens when the preacher's bad? What happens when the preacher's not doing his job? The more preachers you have, the more sin you have because the, the more people you have that are not preaching the Word. So if you get more of those, you got more problems. <clears throat> so that's why verse 7 says, the more they multiply, the more they sin against me. More preachers meant greater sin. And God's going to take away the honor of the pastoral position and change it to shame. He says that in verse 7. And, you know, there was a time when um, the preacher in the community uh, was respected. That was a respected position. Um, that was a, a very well thought of position. And that's changed. It's not, it's not like that. Not across the board. Not anymore. Because, because of this. Because of this right here. Because pastors have not done their jobs and they've, they've done things they shouldn't have done and they've brought uh, a bad light on that area of work. And so now God says, I'm going to take away the honor of the pastoral position and change it to shame. And, and as if that weren't bad enough, there's, the preachers were being greedy. They were, you know, when, when the people give a sacrifice, the, the, the priest would receive a portion of it. So here's what would happen. The priest was hoping that there would be more sin among the people because then that would require them to make more sacrifices, which means that he would get more portions for himself. So I, I want to get more stuff. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, call you out on that sin because then if you stop that then you won't have to sacrifice for it in their system and then that means you won't give me anything so then I'll lose out because it's almost like he was in it for just for what he could get. And that's unfortunate. Preachers are sinners just like everyone else. But the Bible says that despite their greed to accumulate food they're not going to be satisfied. Despite their adulterous methods they're not going to increase their number. They have forsaken the Lord, refusing to obey His commandments. So the, 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 the pastors who are supposed to be leading the people in God's ways are failing miserably. So then the transition from verse 10 to verse 11 from the, the pastor's problems to the people's problems, there's this statement that the Apostle Paul made in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. It's a very short statement, but it's very important. Here's what the preacher said. Here's what Paul said as he wrote to the Corinthian church. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. So here's what that means. I'm doing my best to follow Jesus, so you do your best to follow me. But if I don't follow Jesus, then don't follow me. So just as much as I'm following Jesus is how much you need to follow my example. So who are we really following? We're following Jesus. So as, the, as a preacher, I'm doing my very best to try to follow Jesus. But if I veer off the path, don't veer off with me. You follow Jesus. So only follow me if I'm going to follow Jesus. Now, here's the thing about that. How are you going to know the difference? 
how, how will you know if I veer off the path? Is there, gosh, I wish there was a, a way you could know what it looks like to follow Jesus. I wish there was a book that would have all that information in it. Wouldn't that be something if, if, if that was available? Do we have a book that will do that? You know what that means? That means that each one of us has to own our faith. Personal responsibility for our relationship with Christ because if you are not in the Word, you'll never know if I'm leading you the wrong direction. It's called, what's the phrase from the book of Acts? It's called being a good Berean, right? It's, I, I'm, I'm going to have my Bible open because you got your Bible open and I'm going to listen to you read and explain the Scriptures and then I'm going to verify it. Let me make sure that's right. Yep, okay, I see that. Yep, yep, I'm following right along. So then if I say something stupid, which... Ask my, any one of my family. I've said some stupid things before. How will you know if you're not double-checking? So we have to have open Bibles. We have to take personal responsibility for our faith. So the last part of this passage is just showing how it's not just the leadership, it's the people. We're all guilty. And the people, from verse 11 uh, to verse 19, that's number three, the people are guilty. Not only are the pastors guilty, but the people are guilty. Adultery, drunkenness impairs their senses. <clears throat> the Bible says it takes away their understanding. Literally takes away the heart. The people worship idols. They worship a diviner's wand instead of the Lord. They offer sacrifices to their idols and their false gods. Men and women alike are committing adultery with temple prostitutes, hoping to appease these uh, idolatrous fertility gods so that their agricultural success will happen. I mean, just think about how crazy that sounds. They're hoping that their agricultural work and their human reproduction will all be blessed because of them going to these temple prostitutes. That, that's, that's the mindset. <clears throat> so in verse 11 and in verse 14, kind of like bookends, it says that the people are losing their understanding because of adultery and drunkenness. And they're literally ruined. Look at verse 14, the last word there. The people without understanding are ruined. The, the word there literally means they are thrust down because of this, because of their sin. So then the Bible, Hosea, speaking for God, says to Judah, the southern kingdom, don't be like Israel. You know, at this time the kingdom was divided. <clears throat> and so, he says, don't be like Israel. Don't incur the same guilt. Don't go to these places, these, these cultic places of worship. He mentions <clears throat> Beth, Avon, Gilgal, verse 15. Don't go to those places. Don't become guilty. And then, this is an interesting statement in verse 16. Israel is separated from the Lord's protection because they're stubborn and they refuse to repent. Remember my illustration at the very beginning? It didn't matter what pile of evidence 
the cops had on these people. They refused to take responsibility. It's like they, they were caught. They had video. They had audio. They had everything. But they just held on. They were so stubborn, they wouldn't just repent and take responsibility. And so here, God calls Israel a stubborn heifer. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but it doesn't sound very complimentary. You're a stubborn heifer. I mean, just think if somebody said that to you. I'd be offended, right? Well, that's, that's what they were doing. They were acting like a stubborn heifer. It's not a very pleasant comparison. So as long as the people refused to repent, the Lord was not going to restore them. <clears throat> and so Ephraim, in verse 17, is joined to idols. Ephraim is a prominent tribe in Israel. That tribe is mentioned 36 times just in the book of Hosea. So because of Israel's idolatry, she's just left to herself. Left to herself. God will not restore as long as she's willing, unwilling to repent. Leadership is not fulfilling their intended role. The people and their leaders spend all their time in adultery and drunkenness. So the leaders love their shame so much, they're not shielding the people. And that's their task. They're supposed to be looking out for the people, and they're supposed to be trying to lead them in the right direction. It's almost as if, instead of preaching the Word, they're just showing up to the gatherings with nothing prepared to say and just saying, what do y'all want to talk about today? Can you talk about the weather? Can you talk about, how's your, I know deer season just started. How's your season going so far? You know, only one more Saturday now. That's past. So no more Saturdays without football now coming up. Can we talk about that? You know, let's talk about some stuff that matters. That's, that's really important to our spiritual lives. But they're not shielding the people. They're not leading. They're not preaching the Word. So judgment's on the way. And the last verse of this chapter talks about Israel being swept away. It says the wind wraps them in its wings. When they realize the truth, their worship of idols will only bring them shame. Because here's the sad truth of all this. When they finally come to their senses, if they try to call on these idols, what's an idol going to do? How is an idol going to hear their prayers or answer them or help them in their time of need or be what our Lord is, an ever-present help in the time of trouble? How's that going to work? And the reason why is not because God was unwilling. This, this is probably the most important conclusion based on this terrible pronouncement of judgment. God was not unwilling to help, but the people were unwilling to repent. And so God says, I'm right, I'm right here. I'm, I'm ready and willing and able to help you. But you've got to turn from this nonsense. You, you can't just continue on the path you're on and expect me to just turn a blind eye. It's, it, that's not how it works. 
God has given us His Word. He's given us His standard. And just think of how much better off we are right now. And I say that because we are on this side of the cross. These people were hundreds of years before Jesus was born. We have the benefit of looking back and saying, God dealt with this sin. He sent His Son to this earth to die for me, to redeem me out of this nonsense, to take it all away, to wipe my slate clean. And all that He asked me to do is repent and turn to Him. That's all. He's done everything. He sacrificed. He bled and died. I don't have to. All He asks is repent. Turn back to Me. He's standing there. It's almost like Revelation 3 all over again. The letters to the churches. Do you remember that verse that we probably all have heard before, but it's written to a church. It's not written to people who are unsaved. It's written to a church. A church. Us. Revelation 3.20. Do you remember it? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wants to come in. He wants to sit down and have dinner with us. But, he won't unless we repent. We have to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. That's, that's all He asks. That's all He asks. And then He will gladly, lovingly restore us to Him. So that's the question for us. Are we going to be content to just continue on and go our own way and, and ignore the Lord's offer? Or are we going to come to our senses and turn away from our sins and turn to Jesus and be loved and restored? It, it really is that simple. Let me pray for you. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.